The uh, sermon text for this morning is John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. As we uh, continue our series through uh, this gospel, and I'm going to read uh, beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 1 to familiarize ourselves with the context. There we read, In the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Apostle John these verses is speaking here about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is explaining that Christ here is the Son of God. He's not a, a lesser created being, but Christ is truly God, equal in power, equal in glory with the Father and the Spirit. And here in verses 4 through 5, our text for this morning, uh, John uses uh, three phrases to describe Christ, to describe the word. They are actually the three points in the sermon outline. In him was life, and then the light of men, and thirdly, the darkness has not overcome this light. Now, uh, you might remember that we read Genesis 1 last week, the first chapter in the Bible there that uh, details how God created the world and all things. And we noted how John 1 echoes so well uh, Genesis chapter 1. And if we look now at John chapter 1 verses 4 through 5, we see that the connections from uh, Genesis 1 continue. Uh, Listen to uh, Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 2. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. You can hear there in Genesis 1 how the initial description of what existence was like before uh, God brought order to creation. It was formless. It was void. How Genesis describes it as being covered in darkness until, until the moment that God spoke. And we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, He said, let there be light, and there was light. And there in that uh, empty void, we read that God brought not just light, but life. He brought plants and and creatures into existence, and, and animals, and the first people, Adam and Eve. And then from Adam and Eve even populated the whole earth. And so we're meant to read John chapter 1, see, by Remembering Genesis chapter 1, to see that God is the source of all of life and all of light in our universe. So we see first this morning that in him, in Christ, was life, according to John chapter 1 verse 4. We read there that all life was created through Christ, and all life here includes physical life, biological life, we might say. You and I live and move and have our being because of creation. 
had God not uh, spoken life into existence, we never would have existed. And yet, we see that according to Scripture, loved ones, God was pleased to create out of nothing all that there is. And he created all things, we read in Genesis chapter 1, by speaking it into existence, by his living word. John explains that that word was Christ himself. And not only were all things created through Christ, but we also read in the Bible that all of life, all of existence is continually sustained by Christ, that he holds our very existence day by day, moment by moment together. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, explaining this, that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And then he writes, and in Christ all things hold together. Paul pointing out there that Christ continually sustains his creation, preventing it from falling into chaos. And so all physical life is in Christ. But John here seems to be pointing at something a little bit deeper, specifically now referring to spiritual life in verse 4. And this is what we refer to when we talk about spiritual life. We often describe it as eternal life or everlasting life. It's the life that is given in regeneration by the Holy Spirit. And there is this amazing parallel between what John says here about Jesus as the life and then about what Jesus says about his very self in John chapter 5, verse 26. In this verse, Jesus describes his relationship with the Father and he says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And we think about what Jesus is saying there. It's significant. It's significant especially for a John's a Jewish audience to hear that the same life found in the Father, that the Father has in himself, is also found in the Son. It is the self-existing life that only God has within himself. And all of life is derived from, comes from God through his Son. So Jesus is not a lesser being, but he is there described as being equal with the Father, having the same life-giving power that the Father has. And as we think about the spiritual life that uh, Jesus brings, why do we need a spiritual life? Loved ones, we need it because in Adam, we inherited the curse of spiritual death. Think back Genesis chapter 2 where God warned Adam that if he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if he ate of that tree, that he would surely die. And because Adam sinned, we read how the whole Bible describes the history of humanity as a history of sin and of depravity and fallenness. How the Bible describes that because of Adam's sin, 
natural man doesn't seek after God. He actually seeks his own good and pleasure. He seeks the things of this world. He is dead, says the Bible, to the things of God. He is dead to the spirit. He is as, we might say, spiritually lifeless as a corpse is physically lifeless. The Apostle Paul describes our fallen state in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul there very clearly saying that we were dead in trespasses and sins. But you see, loved ones, the good news of the gospel is that Christ is our mediator of life because in him we are born again. See, through his finished work of redemption, and the Spirit's application of that finished work to us, we are born again. We are regenerated. We are like the prodigal son who, you remember when he returned home and saw the joy of his father as his father received him. Do you remember what the father said about him? He said, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That was our state. We were dead, but we are now alive. Alive because of Christ. Alive through the power of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul continues there in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, to describe this new life that we have in Christ. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, even while we were in this state of sin, unable to choose him, unable to will to worship him, we read that in that state of sin, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And thinking about this spiritual life that we received in Christ, there are so many wonderful pictures throughout the Gospels of this life that Jesus brings as it is evidenced in the miracles that Jesus performs, especially the resurrection miracles that Jesus performed uh, during his earthly ministry. The miracles of Jesus, we might say, are evidences or uh, sneak peeks of the great final day when he will restore life, when he will fully and finally defeat Satan. Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, was giving us a preview of that great last day where he will uh, renew all things. And one of these pictures is found in those resurrection miracles that Jesus performed, pointing to that great resurrection in the last day. You remember when he raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead, how he simply spoke to her and said, little girl, 
I say to you, arise. And she arose from what he said was her sleep. Or think of Lazarus. Lazarus, who had been dead four days. And Jesus there by the tomb, assuring Martha, Lazarus' sister, who was inconsolable, who was angry and was frustrated. Jesus assured Martha, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, this is the life that Jesus brings, that he brought in his earthly ministry, that he continues to bring by the power of his spirit, and that will be evidenced in that last day when we see that great resurrection from the dead and we all are ushered into the new heavens and the new earth. Loved ones, the wonderful things about this life that Jesus brings is that it is throughout the Bible described as eternal life, as everlasting life. It's not just for a moment, for a day, not even for a year, but it is for eternity. Children, have you ever tried to think about how long forever is? How long eternity is? Is it one year, two years, a hundred years? If you kept counting, beginning now, how long would it take you to count to infinity? It's impossible to reach that point. And that's what the Bible describes eternal life as. It is life that is beyond the bounds of time, that is abundant and everlasting. James Montgomery Boyce explains it this way. He says, what is eternal life? And is life without end, the life of God? If it could be lost, as some persons think is the case, then it would not be eternal life. For instance, what would eternal life be if it could be lost at the end of one million years? It would not be eternal life. It would be one million year life. But if God said that it was going to last for one million years, then it could not be lost before the expiration of that period. If God said that he was going to give us 1,000 year life, then the life could not be lost before the end of 1,000 years. If he said that it was 100-year life, it could not be lost before 100 years had expired. But we thank God that he has not given us merely 100,000-year life or even 1,000,000-year life. He has given us eternal life, life that is truly everlasting and abundant. And this is why John writes and his letter in 1 John chapter 5. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Friends, the application is very clear for us. We have been given eternal life. Let us live in the newness of life that we have received in Christ. When Jesus healed people of deadly diseases in the Bible, when he gave them a new life, we so often read about how their reaction was genuine, a reaction of joy and of a changed life. For example, the Gerasene demoniac in Mark chapter 5, the man who was 
possessed by several demons. He was abandoned. He was considered a lunatic by the community. He was ravaged by sin. He was found dead in his sin when Jesus came to him. But when Jesus restored him, when he gave him new life, everlasting life, we read that the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So we don't read that this man continued to live in his old ways of sin and self-destruction. But he lived in the newness of life that he had been given. And this was evidenced by his joy for Jesus and the way that he told others about Christ. Well, next we see in our passage this morning that Jesus is described as the light of men. What does John mean here when he declares that Jesus Christ is the light of men? Well, the significance is found in the fact, loved ones, that throughout the Bible, God is described as light. And light is, is one of the primary ways that God reveals his glory when he reveals himself to, to people. Children, remember how the uh, Shorter Catechism uh, describes uh, God, and it describes the fact that God does not have a body like you and me. You know, that God is not made up of, of matter or energy or, or anything that is uh, created, because he is God. See, he is uncreated. He is the eternal one. He is a spiritual being. And because uh, God is a spirit and he does not have a body like us, unless he reveals himself in some way that we could see, that we could discern, you and I could never understand him or see any part of his being. And so throughout the Bible, when God reveals his presence to people, he usually takes the form of light, of bright, a glorious, blinding light. And we read, for example, about the bright glory cloud that led Israel through the wilderness and how that cloud descended upon the tabernacle when it's uh, when it was being, uh, done being built, God's dwelling place on earth there, how God in his glory and that blinding light descended upon the tabernacle. It's led David to write in Psalm 27, which we read this morning, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then in Psalm 36, verse 9, David says again, For with you is the fountain of light. In your light do we see light. And in Psalm 104, verses 1 through 2, the psalmist describes God's glory in creation. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. What a beautiful picture of God's glory in creation. And then 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John clearly says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. See, all of these verses describe the radiance of God's glory, but it all, they also describe God's absolute purity, his absolute perfection. All of John's writing flows from the reality of, of God and his spiritual perfection and his 
moral excellence, utter transcendence, all of this revealed in, in the light of who God is. And so it's very significant that John here describes Jesus as the light of men, the light that reveals who God is, it reveals his moral perfection, his holiness, right? Because even Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world, the one who leads us in truth. Loved ones, why do we need such light? Because we know that because of our fall into sin, our world is overshadowed by spiritual darkness. And this spiritual darkness is primarily revealed in unbelief, in a lack of faith in those who do not trust in the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 3, Jesus described the spiritual darkness that is unbelief when he, in speaking to Nicodemus, he said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Even non-Christians and non-religious people agree that we live in darkness. Though if you talk to them, many of you know that they wouldn't characterize uh, this darkness that we live in in spiritual uh, terms. Sometimes people will talk about things like emotional darkness. Um, for example, when uh, someone is going through a difficult time and uh, they begin considering uh, hurting themselves or hurting other people, Oftentimes, when they uh, regain perspective, uh, they'll refer to uh, that emotional low point in their lives as a dark time emotionally. They'll say that, you know, I was in a very dark place at that moment in my life. And sometimes people will even talk about a moral uh, darkness. Uh, when uh, they describe atrocities like the Nazi concentration camps, World War II, uh, human trafficking, genocide, these evils that are pervasive in our history and continue into today, when they describe these things, they'll often use words like dark, darkness, evil. The problem, loved ones, comes when rather than turning to Christ, when people recognize the darkness that we live in, People think that instead technology or human ingenuity or some kind of self-improvement will rid us of this darkness. But the Bible so clearly says that the only person who can pull humanity out of the moral darkness that we live in is Christ because he alone is light. He is the light of the world. He is the light, we read, that shines in our present darkness. And in fact, the way that John writes here is he uses a, a verb that is continuous. In this darkness, the light shines and it continues to shine. 
the application is, again, very clear. Let us, therefore, friends, shine the light of Christ in this evil age that we live in. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said to us that we are the light of the world. And the example he gives is he said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they instead put it on a stand, and that light, it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The encouragement and the exhortation that we receive from Christ is this light that we have received, the light of salvation, the light of now knowing God and living in union with Christ. It is to work itself out in the way that we speak, in the way that we think, in the way that we interact with family members and friends and co-workers. That we are to shine this light through our thoughts, words, and deeds so that we might give glory to our Father who is in heaven and thereby reveal him uh, to others. And thirdly, we see in our text, John, speaking about the light, he said that the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. And John uses a word here that can mean understood um, in some translations, or some translations have the word overcome or, or mastered, and it can actually mean uh, both. It can mean that the darkness has not understood the light. And we know that those whose minds are in darkness cannot understand the light without the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, without the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit sovereignly working in their hearts and minds. It's like the Apostle Paul, who lived in unbelief, who was hard of heart, until Christ came by the power of his Spirit and softened, softened his heart Paul could not understand the things of God. He lived in unbelief. And reflecting upon this, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in reflecting upon those who, who do not have the Spirit, he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul there very clearly saying that without Christ, without the sovereign work of the Spirit applying the work of Christ to the hearts of unbelievers, the light cannot be understood, cannot be comprehended. To them, the gospel remains folly. But this word can also mean uh, overcome. It can mean something like the darkness has not mastered the light. Loved ones, the light of Christ has never and will never be overpowered by darkness. See, John is not describing here something like a yin and a yang. It's a, a philosophy of equal forces of light and dark fighting it out, seeing who will ultimately be victorious in the end. 
John is not describing some form of dualism, right? two forces in this universe fighting it out to see who will be victorious in the end. But John is here describing the fact that the light of Christ will never be overcome by darkness. It will never be overcome by evil. It never has been and it never will be. Darkness loses each time. And we see that in redemptive history and the history that the Bible lays out for us. That in the darkest times, the light of Christ was shining. That in the dark moment of the fall when Adam and Eve fell into sin, the light of Christ was shining as God provided a propitiation for their sin and then clothed them with animal skins, pointing to how they would ultimately be clothed in Christ's righteousness. And all who believe will be clothed and are clothed in that way. And then the flood, you think about Noah's flood and how Genesis chapter 6 describes humanity at that low point where it says that the heart of man was evil. And all that he could comprehend was only evil all the time. It seemed like it was hopeless. And yet we know that in his grace, the Lord preserved Noah and his family, delivering them as through the floodwaters, right? pointing to baptism and how we are freed from sin and brought from death to life through the waters of baptism, the waters that point to Christ's blood and the regenerated power of the Holy Spirit. And there are these moments throughout redemptive history, right? the darkness of Israel's enslavement in Egypt, and then Israel's exile into Babylon and Assyria, and that darkest moment ever on earth when Jesus hung on a cross and, and died. But at every moment when there was darkness, the light of Christ shone. And the great light of that resurrection morning, the tomb was empty and the angels appeared. Darkness will not overcome the light. We see that, and we need to believe that this morning, brothers and sisters. Though we face pain and, and suffering and sickness and death, darkness will not overcome the light of Christ. We can think about it like the eclipse of the sun by the moon. If you've ever had the opportunity to see a total eclipse, it is wonderful. We're here on Earth, and, and you have to use a special glasses or a special apparatus to be able to see how the moon and, and the sun, they, they align at a certain point, and for a couple of minutes, that the moon covers the sun, and, and some light is still able uh, to be, of uh, the sun is still able to, to be visible. It's not total darkness. There's still a lot of light, but you see how that moon is in front, of the sun, and from our perspective, it seems like, wow, that moon is just as big as the sun, and look, it's almost covering it entirely. But we know that from another perspective, the moon pales in comparison to the size of the sun. It's a mere pebble. In fact, 64.3 million moons fit inside the sun. From our perspective, it looks like the darkness is overcoming the light. But in reality, the darkness is just a pebble. It is nothing. 
Loved ones, the Lord Jesus, the promised one, when he was on earth, he dealt a death blow to darkness. He dealt a death blow to the serpent. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, did not succumb to Satan's temptations. He did not succumb to the darkness of this evil age. He cast out demons, revealing that he had come to bind the strong man and to plunder his house and to free those who were captive to Satan. In the fullness of time, he came to do battle with Satan, and he, he crushed Satan's head. And all of the darkness throughout history could not stop him, could not overcome him. Not Pharaoh, not Herod, and not even Satan himself. And this is why, loved ones, we need to be optimistic as a people. That even when we are so often overcome by, by darkness and it feels like it is all around us, when we see the church sore oppressed, when we see persecution in many countries, especially in uh, Muslim-dominated areas, when we see how Christians are rejected in our own culture and how the gospel is, is despised, we need to stand on the truth, on the promise that the darkness will not overcome the light. The light shines in the darkness, loved ones. And the darkness has not and will never overcome it. Amen. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for Christ who was condemned in our place. We thank you for his obedience to your covenant requirements, for the way that he accomplished our salvation and how he now has given us life and light. We pray that you would grant us to live in this newness of life and to live in the light that we have been given. Cause us, we pray, to shine as lights in this fallen world, to be ever hopeful that darkness will not overcome the light of the gospel. And Lord, to live in this hope until that last day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.